yum nub. Reach out for yum nub. Hello and welcome to Yubcast, your Star Wars cartoon podcast. My name is Matt, and the strongest stars have hearts of Kyber. And my name's Jamie, and someday you're going to be wrong. I just hope I'm there to see it. I'm wrong all the time. What are you talking about? <laughs> oh, that's such a good line. <laughs> yeah. Uh, how are you doing? Uh, all right. Now that I got that computer work, I won't have to spend a million dollars to buy another Mac for at least another day. Oh, you own a Mac? Yeah. Uh, as am I. Um, yeah, we had some technical problems, and now we're recording pretty late, on at least for me. But we're going to power through it. So today we're going to talk about, we're still doing my reviews of the Star Wars Vision cartoons, but today we're going to talk about Episode 5, The Ninth Jedi, which originally aired on September 22nd, or originally released on Disney Plus on September 22nd. Before we do that, we usually ask each other what Star Wars we did this week, but today I'm going to ask you, because we're recording on October 29th, Happy Halloween everybody. We are exactly two months away from the release of The Book of Boba Fett, which comes out on December 29th. So I thought we would take a couple minutes at the top just to talk about what we hope, what our thoughts are about that show that we know next to nothing about. I think I'm excited. It's just because of new Star Wars, I'll, I'll always get excited. But And I'm not like I'm not one of these people that has a major hard-on for Boba Fett, but I like what they did with him in The Mandalorian. So I'm cautiously optimistic because they could uh, do it a lot of ways. I actually recently watched the tragedy um, episode of The Mandalorian where he comes back in and he gets his armor back, and he's such a badass. I'm super excited um, for this. But at the same time, I'm just kind of like, man, I don't know. I've been burnt before. But so far, the TV shows have, except for Visions, have been all been like pretty good. It's not like the movies where you're just kind of like, I like it, though I'm like, I'm not sure. you got to watch it a few times to kind of convince yourself that, well, we'll just pretend that Mary Poppins moment never happened. Um, I'm, I'm pretty excited. Is is Robert Rodriguez um, involved in this? He is, isn't he? Yeah, so, so before we drill down, well, we could talk about that right now. Um, so Robert Rodriguez uh, directed several episodes. Um, so did John Favreau. Um, Bryce Howard and Dave Filoni. Um, that's those are the directors we currently know. There's of course going to be a couple others uh, that we just don't know yet. But um, Robert Rodriguez is is intimately involved in this, and so he he directed the tragedy. Um, yeah, yeah, you and can. That, his cinematography is so obvious in there. Sorry. Yeah. No, yeah, I was just going to say that it's it's obvious the. Just the the way the way it's shot, and I'll pull out a term from uh, Clockwork Orange: is the the ultra violence. It's not just violent; it's crazy violent. It's the, about uh, as violent as Star Wars has ever gotten. Mm-hmm. Like the uh, the lightsaber battle in Last Jedi was pretty. Um, parts of it were pretty brutal, where you just see like Kylo Ren stabbing one of the guards and just kind of like all the way up to the hilt, and he's just holding it to him. That's something they don't really do in Star Wars. So. I'm all for Robert Rodriguez um, being a part of it. Um, seeing Boba Fett uh, walk around with a uh, horn case full of guns. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, yeah, so there are a couple shots in that episode of Mandalorian where, like, one where he's, like, holding his gun, holding his blaster out, stiff-armed. And it sort of zooms in toward him, but focuses on the gun rather than on him. That's such a Robert Rodriguez shot. I think it's taken out of, like, Desperado. Um, but there's, yeah, him walking around with a um, clue horn case full of uh, guns would be wonderful. Yeah. Um, I was actually thinking, the, the one that really gets me is where, like, Boba Fett is dragging the uh, the gaffy stick, and if just is focusing on the gaffy stick being yeah. drug onto the ground before it just it smashes into a, a stormtrooper. Well, the violence, the like the the violence in the stormtroopers in that episode, it was so bad. It, I think we talked about it the day it came out. It was like these guys are getting tossed around like rag dolls, and it's just so much more physical than you normally see. Um, stormtroopers be handled right so he's like the guy like 
ping pongs down or plinkos down like a pile of rocks and it just feels painful to watch mm-hmm. and then like them getting hit by the boulder and everything oh the whole that whole sequence is yeah just incredibly crazy. graphic yeah where he like jumps and just like stabs them he um the, a couple of them you actually see their helmets getting smashed right um from the gaffy stick and it's just it's like wow he's incredibly strong I mean, there, there's also there are other scenes where, like, the armorer hit a stormtrooper with her, like, mallet, mm-hmm. and his his hummock got smashed there. And so I like I like the the tone of that show. I think both of us were. So if we go back in time, when we knew that we were getting a new trilogy, and these anthology movies, the rumor was always we we're going to get sort of the Rogue One, a Han Solo movie. And a Boba Fett movie. Do you remember these rumors? Yeah, yeah, and we, a little. You and I talked back then about not being super excited about the Han Solo or the Boba Fett movie because neither of us are super Boba Fett fans. I never quite got the whole Boba Fett thing. I think it's, I think he's a good character. I think he's fine, and he's really grown on me. But when they made the Mandalorian instead of the Boba Fett thing, I was very happy. Because mm-hmm. you could you could tell the story of like a Mandalorian without having the baggage, the sort of the plot-based cultural baggage of a Boba Fett, Boba Fett, and he seemed cooler than Boba Fett. Mm-hmm. But his popularity brought you Boba Fett and gave Tamara Morrison uh, a nice little sort of redemption. Not not that people dislike them, but like another chance at Star Wars. Right, and and I really appreciate all of that. I like what they've done with Boba Fett's character. I think it's going to be a good show because of who's involved and how they handled sort of the two seasons of Mandalorian we have. I'm hoping all of the live-action TV shows are sort of that level of quality. But we'll see. And I'm I'm much more excited about the Boba Fett show than I assumed I would be. Yeah, because I just like guess I guess once the first trailer drops then that's when i'll go from like zero to 60 in just like no time um just because i i just i don't know like it's it's like when you've got a million chores to do and you don't know where to start so you're just like uh uh i don't know what to do i don't know what to do because i don't know like is it gonna is there gonna be some of it in the past is it just like the end of the mandalorian going forward is it gonna be how he escaped from the sarlacc pit um so I'm just kind of like, I don't know which to focus on um, because, I mean, I'm pretty sure it's going to be cool either way. We were talking earlier, like, I don't want them I don't want them to make him into a hero. Right. Um, but I don't want him just to be a villain either. I could go for, like, a sympathetic villain. Um, but they, there uh, seemed like to be a lawful, bit of a... Like awful evil sort of thing. Yeah, because there seemed to be a bit of a, a, re, a redemption arc. Like with him in the Mandalorian, saying he realizes that he, him saving Fennec, he says that sometimes the, I can't remember the exact quote, but sometimes the the desert spares the wretched. Yeah, um, I the, if they were going for redemption for him, they shouldn't have had him go in and like shoot Bib Fortuna and toss his body on the floor. But I don't know, Bib Fortuna is probably a piece of shit, so maybe. <laughs> Yeah, I mean we don't. I mean we don't know too. There could be he could have like escaped like almost right after and been like just left for dead or something. Right. You know, maybe maybe there's something there. But yeah, I I don't think that he's like gonna be like super awesome. You know, you know like um, good guy. But but there, there there's something a little bit more to him, like having the life or death. I don't say the life or death, but just whatever it is that he went through coming out of the Sarlacc took him five years over five years to find and get his armor back all right um you want to talk about anything else um no um i mean there's the news that hayden christensen is going to be in the ahsoka show that's really exciting right and you had a couple of good questions when i sent you the vanity fair article Mm -hmm. about in what form he's going to be in yeah is that a is that just a uh, a flashback is, is he a force ghost or is it just like some sort of like vision that she has I mean, because he's technically a force ghost now so he could be a force ghost 
which would be totally fine by me. Um, sure. But then you got to wonder, like, did he... Because if he shows up to talk to Ahsoka, does he show up to talk to Luke? Um, or Leia. Maybe not so much Leia, because she'd probably be, like, super pissed at him for the the torture in the Death Star. But um, it's uh, it, it opens the door to a lot of uh, interesting things. Because I don't have the book. I know you have the art of the... Um, the Force Awakens, where they had the idea of like an Anakin Force ghost, where he's just kind of a mixture of himself and Vader, because he yeah. spent pretty much equal time in his life as both. So we'll definitely see, and I'm glad to see that that Hayden Christensen is coming back into Star Wars for this, and then for the Obi Wan show as well. Yeah, he's going to be in Kenobi and Ahsoka. I think it's a great, once again, um, Hayden got a lot of flack or George's clunky dialogue and him being a little wooden and some delivery stuff. But that that's really, a lot of that criticism should land on the director of those movies rather than the actor. I'm very happy he's coming back mm-hmm. for another crack at this. Um, the fans really want him back, right? Like all of the, if you think about it, like all the 20-somethings and early 30s, like or 30-ish people, those were the people that were 10 years old when the prequels were in the movie theater. That's their Star Wars. And so they want to see these characters again. They want to see these actors again. And I think it's perfect to bring them back. I would love it if he's a Force ghost. I would love it if it was a flashback because we would, like you pointed out, we would get a young Ahsoka maybe. So then if there's a young Ahsoka... But would it be Ashley Eckstein? Hmm. I hadn't thought or, of that. Or at, least, or at least voiced. Voiced, yeah. Probably voiced. That would be fun. Wow. Mm-hmm. I hadn't thought of that. Because she is in the uh, the last, not the last Jedi, the, um, the Rise of Skywalker. Rise of Skywalker. You know, and Rosario Dawson isn't. Though it doesn't, that doesn't mean anything, but a lot of potentials. All right. So... But, you ready? Yeah, we should probably get to divisions. <laughs> All right. I mean, we could talk forever about Star Wars, as we've just demonstrated. Yeah, that was a fun little aside, but we should probably move on to visions. That's the purpose of our show today. Uh, so today we're reviewing the Ninth Jedi. Um, the Ninth Jedi was it's the fifth episode in the Disney Plus release order episode order for visions. It was produced by a company called Production IG, also known as Studio IG, and it's an animation studio founded uh, back in 2007. But actually, the studio has worked on Star Wars before, before Visions. It's, as far as I can tell, the only studio has any history with Lucasfilm at all, where the founder of the studio worked on the design for the Clone Wars Jedi uh, Nadar Veb, who was the Mon Calamari Padawan that was killed by Grievous in the episode Lair of Grievous. No kidding. Remember that one? Oh, yeah. I remember him specifically because he was um, not Plo Koon. um, He was somebody's... Kit um, Fisto. Kit Fisto's um, Padawan, and... He's he's a Jedi that what I think would have like if he hadn't died would have fallen. Yes. Yes, we've had this conversation about Nadar um, before, just you and me privately. Um, he is definitely one of those Jedi who was damaged by the war. I guess is the mm-hmm. way to put it. Um, and yeah. he valued he valued combat more than other values of the Jedi. Yeah, like a lot of people. He came of age in the time of war. Right. So it wasn't the things that formed his uh, opinions on the world was just seeing war and suffering and and people in power trotting over people that don't. And there is there that episode when we get the Clone Wars, we're definitely going to talk about this because that episode is very morally heavy handed about how the Jedi are losing more than the war. Uh, they're losing like the hearts and minds of their next generation. It's an early warning sign to them because this is early in the war. Should have been an early warning sign that they're on the wrong path. And mm-hmm. and Veb's death and his attitude about how he's going to kill Grievous because it would make him like popular 
uh, is really telling about where the Jedi were mentally in this war. So this studio has a connection to that episode. I was really excited when I learned that. So I wanted to foot stomp it here. Yeah. All right. So <laughs> we've already we've already talked a bunch and have a relatively long opening. Um, so I'm just going to jump right in to the plot summary, if that's okay. Okay. So the show sort of opens up with this voiceover and this views of like starscapes with galaxies, like clouds of galaxies. The narrator is describing that many generations have passed since the Jedi were protectors of the galaxy and that the galaxy is currently torn apart by war. Then there's a, they introduce a character called Margrave Juro, and he's the ruler of the Outer Rim planet, High Islan, and he has a plan. His plan is he's been mining kyber crystals, and he wants to draw together the remaining Jedi in the galaxy to make a new Jedi Order. And he's going to do this by building lightsabers for them and basically giving them lightsabers. The voiceover then describes that there is a second group called the Sith who are trying to wipe out the Jedi and bring about a new Sith order. So it's sort of like a crawl to to explain where we are in the universe, but it's done with a voiceover with some pretty photos of galaxies. Yeah. Or drawing, drawing some galaxies. I liked it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I did as well. And so getting to the episode now, we're above a planet and we see sort of like an asteroid field or maybe like a like a belt system around the planet we see one of these asteroids and there's like a shiny blue thing in it presumably it's a kyber crystal and then it's grabbed by sort of this claw with a tether on it and then pulled down towards the planet Um, this is done without explanation but we sort of are panning around in this asteroid field and we see a space station with a ship approaching there's a really cool shot here Whereas the ship's approaching, the whole frame is sort of rotating upside down, 180 degrees. Yeah, because it seems like the um, the station is on, uh, it's like cylindrical, kind of like ice cream cone sort of shaped. And like it's actually like pointed um, with the head down. Um, right. So like right. there's a big, there's a big dome and it's like. And somehow it's in some sort of geosynchronous orbit where it, or let's just say just the orbit where it just remains that way. It doesn't rotate on its own. It just stays in that position. Right. That's good. That's a great description. That's sort of what we would interpret as the top of the structure physically um, is pointed toward the planet. Like it's like, like it's an upside down ice cream cone stuck mm-hmm. on the ground. So the ship approaches. A young human walks into a room. He's wearing a poncho. And there's a few other figures in the room. Lots of poncho play in this episode. <laughs> the human introduces himself as Ethan, which is my son's name, which is fun for me. Um, and and the boy, that was that was fun for the kids. He says that an encoded transmission summoned him there. Ethan is a Jedi that does not have a master, and he asks the other people in the room if they are also masterless Jedi. Ethan remarks that the location is strong with the Force. A bunch of other people sort of approach him. They all reveal that they've received the same message. They'll pull out these little recorders, these little hologram projectors. Then Ethan plays the message. The message is the Margrave Juro, explaining that he wants to restore the Jedi Order by giving these seven Jedi lightsabers, which apparently in this timeline, the knowledge of how to build a lightsaber is gone. And so none of these Mm -hmm. Jedi have lightsabers. Juro wants the new Jedi Order to restore peace and end the war. And then one of the Jedi, his name is Hanbei, he sort of looks like a short walrus sort of looking alien. Didn't have a species in Wikipedia. Anyway, Hanbei says that he knows that there's kyber crystals on the planet. And then one of the other Jedi, a human named Rodin, asks if they know if Juro can be trusted. Ethan puzzles if Juro is a master Jedi or if all of this is a trap. It's starting to get the vibe of, like, I can't think of too many movies. Like, I don't know, like The Thing or uh, what was the movie with... um, I want to say Clue, but also there's the Tarantino movie, The Hateful Eight. 
Yes. Where it was just like, somebody's the killer, basically. And that's kind of where you start to get, I mean, I at least started to get that feeling that is, is this on the up and up or is there something, something going on here that we don't know about? Is, is this guy not what he seems? So, so your, your hackles were already up at this point and I, I don't want to give too much away, but I, when I sat down to watch it for, for this and I sat down and like dedicated time, made sure I wasn't too tired, sat down and watched it. I was completely wrapped and I was just in it. I was like, oh man, there's like a secret, like all these Jedi, they're like wandering the galaxy and they don't even know about each other. It's like, I love the, uh, this idea. And so I didn't even start thinking like, like, oh, one of them has to be the killer. But that That is, it is a, a type of movie, right? Or a type of story where you bring a bunch of strangers together and, and then it turns into like a murder mystery. Yeah, definitely. All right. So these seven Jedi are discussing it. And they, they realize that none of them have met Juro. Although we're going to get back to this because I think one of them might have previously. A female Jedi who has sort of purple skin, Nizo, asks, asks the group if they thought they would survive a trap or if getting a lightsaber was worth the risk. The other Jedi debate that maybe everyone thought they were strong enough to survive the trap. And then another Jedi, Tagura, he sort of has like a bucket for a head says that he senses the dark side in this place. He seemed, um, that one guy, he seemed like like a robot or like some... I thought he was a robot too. Maybe he's just like a cyborg, like Robocop sort of thing where he's just, or, or I guess Vader, where he's just like more machine than man, but still enough to be a, a force user. Yeah, I thought he was a robot too, but they, they we spend so little time with these people that they could be anything. So I was willing to just keep watching. Mm-hmm. So a large droid shows up. It sort of, sort of looks like, like a Sentinel droid, or even maybe like a K2SO style droid, but much bigger. He shows up and introduces himself, saying that the Margrave does not typically meet with people, but he will arrive soon. So now we transition down to the planet where we see these tethers that we saw earlier being fired up into the sky to capture asteroids. Yeah, it's, it's it's interesting. There's like like a row of like trebuchets that just shoot off these things into the belt yeah. to grab the rocks and bring them down. Yeah, the first time I saw them, I didn't quite like the the very first moment I saw them. I'm like, what the hell is this? And then I realized what they were, and I was like, oh, that's really cool. Like that's it's sort of linking back to what we saw already. So one of the asteroids comes down. One of the tethers is being drawn in with an asteroid, and it crashes into the planet. There's a young girl watching this with her droid four nines. Four nines is like a astromech droid of sorts, but it sort of looks like a penguin. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of Eve, uh, the body of the robot from Wally, and then just kind of like BB-8 for the head, where it's just not a, it's just a sphere on a swivel. Yeah, that's a good call. It's a that's a, those are good design touch points for it. I would say I when I was watching with the boys. Um, I said, it sort of looks like a penguin, and they agreed. Uh, so it's sort of like that. It's a different design for a Star Wars droid, but I think it works really well. So she rides her speeder out. Then we cut to a blacksmith who's working on a kyber crystal. He sort of has it in like a mold or something, and he's hammering it with a, ha- with a hammer, like a mallet. And then he's placing the kyber crystal into the hilt of a lightsaber, and then the lightsaber turns on, and it's a bright blue blade. Um, outside, the girl pulls up on her speeder, and then she goes inside and reports to her father, the saber smith, that they caught it, that they found a big one out there. And then she asks about the sabers, if he had finished them or not. At this point, he he refers to the girl by name. Her name is Kara or La Kara, and she picks up one of the lightsabers and turns it on. The blade is an odd color. I couldn't tell if it was dark or if it was clear. Yeah, I had the same uh, same problem with it. So I thought it was confused. Yeah. So I thought it was clear, but then she refers to it as dark later, and I was like, okay, well, it could be either. It doesn't much matter. It's basically colorless. It's either clear or it's sort of dark gray. The sabersmith says that the blade will change color to match the yielder's relationship with the force. 
So they're, they're mood rings, essentially. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. I actually like this sort of conceit because a long, long time ago in Star Wars, they decided that, that the blades don't mean anything, right? They're basically stylistic. Mm-hmm. And then Disney sort of walked that back a little bit. And they're like, oh, no, like like the red ones are because you're bleeding the kyber crystal. And there was some, there was some kyber crystal crap. Uh, in, in the legend stuff too, but it was never like explicitly explained how the, they were yeah, red. Yeah, the, I think that they were like synthetic ones. Right. And so there, there was some of that, but it wasn't it wasn't super consistent. And I think previously they were they were okay leaving it alone, but now we've had like blood kyber crystals and cured kyber crystals and white blades and purple blades and blah blah blah. Um, this is like you said, mood rings. It's like, mm-hmm. like, oh, your relationship to the force informs the color. It's very, it's a very new concept, but they use it to great effect in this show. So, in yeah. This and it's never been fully explained, other than red and white, like all the the colors in between, how lightsabers get their color. Right. Like, why does Ray have a yellow one? Why does Grogu have a yellow one? Why do the Temple Guards have a yellow one? What What, what is Grogu? Yeah, Grogu has a yellow lightsaber. When? There's a poster, that official Star Wars poster, that shows Grogu and Luke building a lightsaber together, and it has a yellow blade. Oh, well, okay then. I'll send it to you. Okay. Um, yeah, they, like, originally, like, they, they talked how, like, like Mace Windu's was purple because he was very, he kind of, like, danced on the edge of kind of, like, the dark side with his abilities. And so it was... That's, that's the reason it was purple that they gave, but it, that's been since walked back. So that would yeah. be cool. To, that would be cool if they touched on that, like how, how why they're that color, like white, green versus blue versus purple versus yellow. Mm-hmm. And then versus like black, black, yeah. <laughs> so the back to the plot. Um, Kara practices with the blade. She's obviously very skilled with a lightsaber and then she wonders what color it will turn when a real jedi holds it the saber maker looks at the seven blades that he's built and says that he's kept his promise uh to finish four nines the little penguin droid warns them that there's a ship landing kara wonders if it's a jedi but the saber maker knows that it is not he gives Kara the lightsabers and a little bindle and tells her to take them to the temple in orbit. They say goodbye. Kara feels the weight of the moment, says it's almost like you're saying goodbye forever. And then she gets on her speeder and speeds away, and the Jedi hunters enter the room. The saber maker's name is La Zima. Uh, and they, the Jedi hunters, demand that he go with them and turn over the lightsabers that he's illegally manufactured for the Jedi. He refuses to go with them or turn over the lightsaber. They pull a blaster on him, and he blocks a blaster bolt with his hand, and his shop sort of explodes. Yeah, he kind of like reflects it back into the blast furnace, and it just uh, explodes. I didn't know what to think of this guy, what his role was. Because he could just be like a really good artisan, but we'll talk about like like context clues later. Mm-hmm. But when he does this, I was like, okay, so this guy's definitely like a trained Jedi, and he just did something crazy badass. And I also assumed he died in this moment and killed the hunters. But no, that's mm-hmm. not what that's not what happens. Kara stops her bike and calls back to her father. He is. You see him sort of in the outside the shop being taken prisoner. And there's a great, great shot where one of the hunters fires his blaster back toward Kara. And you sort of see the point of view of her being shot at. Mm-hmm. I really love that shot. She hops on her speeder and speeds away. One of the hunters pursues. Back in orbit on the station, the Jedi are asking the droid for evidence that the Margrave has actually produced a lightsaber. So the droid opens a box, and there's a lightsaber held inside. The young Jedi in a poncho, Ethan, picks up the lightsaber and holds it. 
he turns it on and the blade glows uh, bright blue. Everybody in the room is staring at it. Mm -hmm. And the droid tells him that the other sabers will be there soon. Uh, You want to pause here? Yeah, I don't... Well, because I want to say it was actually kind of like teal, but a teal colored. But yeah, it's it was strange. The the youngest guy, Ethan's like, oh, can I see it? He just kind of like grabs it, turns it on. This robot shows that like, here, here's a lightsaber. And none of them are like, oh, yeah, we could. No, we want it. They just kind of just kind of let him. Yeah, I thought I thought about that, too. He seems to be the youngest um, in the group. And he was also the last one to arrive. They probably can sense that he's not a Sith, but he probably can't sense the opposite. Yeah, it it seems that, like, in this timeline or universe or whatever, like, Jedi is just somebody who can use the light side of the Force. Right. Is force is Force-sensitive. It's like being the same thing as like saying, hey, I'm psychic. Well, you're psychic because you can read minds. You didn't have to go through any training. You're just psychic. So Jedi is just more of a, a thing to call people who have the ability to use the Force. And I'm guessing then Sith is just people who use the Force for evil. Um, maybe. Let's let's talk about the Sith in a few minutes. Um, so back down on the planet, Kara is running away from the Hunter. She's riding through sort of a snowy forest on the speeder with her four nines droid sort of in the back of the speeder. Um, this is a pretty exciting shot, and I really like how it's animated. But at one point, she flips the speeder around as sort of driving backward um, and deflecting the blasts with her lightsaber. And then they go out. Well, the hunter at this point says the force is strong with the child. And then they ride out over a frozen lake. She hops off her speeder, turns around, runs back toward the hunter and cuts his speeder in half. And then her speeder comes back around and she hops on and rides off. Yeah, I thought this was a pretty cool little scene. It's it's where... a gorgeous action action scene. Mm-hmm. It feels so Star Warsy to me. Yeah, I'm just trying to think of like what would be the equivalent. I mean, there is like Luke in Return of the Jedi where he's facing down the, the, the stormtrooper on the speeder bike who comes at him and he just like sidesteps and like chops it. Yeah. But this this reminds me of like something else. I don't know something like in a, um, you know what it makes me think of in the Matrix Reloaded near the end when they're on the freeway trying to get yes. the Kimiker out and Morpheus at one point he stops he's got a katana out and he just he he I'm not sure what exactly he sidesteps and he just like puts the katana into the pursuing car. Yeah, he like cuts just... a, he like cuts a sedan in half or something. Yeah. Good call. Did you have more? Right. So she cuts the guy's speeder in half. The hunter does not pursue. Kara and four nines uh, ride their speeder out to a shuttle depot to get to the orbital station, which is called the aerial temple. There's sort of a sort of like a little room with a bunch of droids in it, and they're the pilot droids for these shuttles. They're all powered down except one, who is on his break drinking tea. Kara obviously is in a rush to get these lightsabers up to the aerial temple, and she may or may not still be under pursuit. She's definitely acting like she is, for all she knows she is, at least. And she's trying to get this droid to put down his tea and take her to the temple shoppers him a coin and insists that they go and the droid very slowly agrees and then very slowly walks to the ship this scene is obviously for comic relief it works very well in my opinion yeah i was really trying to figure out where i've seen a similar design for robots like that because they're, they're is very unique it um, looked familiar to me too but i couldn't put my finger on it made me think of kind of like the animated um, movie Robots, where there was like, they're just like this, this very weird, odd shape. They weren't, not your traditional drawer that you normally see right. in Star Wars. They weren't exactly like C-3PO, human-like, but they weren't, they're not just like weird spider droids either. Right, quasi-humanoid droids. Mm-hmm. Back on the station, the Jedi are becoming impatient. Uh, a ship is arriving, and then they speculate that it is the Margrave ship, but it's actually the shuttle with Kara on board. 
I don't know if the shuttle ride implied that she had never left the planet before, but I sort of got that vibe. So Kara disembarks from the shuttle and introduces herself as the daughter of the Sabersmith. She asks a Jedi to use the lightsabers to help her save her father. And she sort of pours them out on the floor out of her bindle. The Jedi gather around and they all pick up sabers. And she asks if the Margrave is around. She reveals that she's known him since she was a baby. And then sort of the walrus Jedi asks if she would know where he is right now. And this is when... This is when... Uh, it becomes pretty obvious that shit's about to break bad. Yeah. It was very, like, the way he said it was kind of like, it's like, that's, that's, um, I don't know, it's hard to explain. It's just like all of a sudden, it, that's just kind of like something a bad guy would say, where they're just right. like, they're not, um, they're not interested in, um, what's going on. They just all of a sudden, they want to know something uh, completely different. Right. Something, something aside from the, it's kind from of what, like, you, what, what you thought their motivation was. Yeah, kind of like like the I guess like a Terminator where all of a sudden it finds out about John Connor and all of a sudden it's just like nothing else matters and wants to know about John Connor. Not everything else that's going on isn't important. Right. Um, six of the Jedi at this time ignite their lightsabers simultaneously and they're all red. Uh, only Kara and Ethan do not have red sabers. Ethan is pretty taken aback. The droid from earlier comes down from sort of like the dais. He's walking down some stairs. And it opens up to reveal that the Margrave was inside the whole time. I love this reveal. Mm -hmm. The people with the red lightsabers introduce themselves as acolytes of the Sith. And they turn to attack the Margrave. And this, this sets off several minute multi simultaneous lightsaber duel that is highly entertaining but mm-hmm. first the walrus you want to say something yeah um it's actually about the margrave because he's got and i guess like the, the jedi hunters as well but he's got like a robotic kind of face or yeah. head i don't know if this is um if it's kind of like is it ghost in the shell where her friend has the robotic head yeah i think it's ghost in the show it was um, very reminiscent of that though yeah so sorry anyways please did you please see continue. the logo on his cape yeah but i like i couldn't i couldn't place it because it's fulcrum right it's the fulcrum sim- symbol from rebels i thought i love that i assumed it's intentional <laughs> <laughs> the walrus guy hanbe attacks the margrave first and the Margrave, Mar- Margrave just cuts him in half, like through the torso, like through the chest. Pretty gruesome. And so he's the first to die. And the Sith acolytes taunt Kara about her father, saying that her father's been kidnapped by their hunters. And she draws her lightsaber, which is still clear, slash black, and she starts fighting the Sith. So she starts with two on one and ends up with three on one. Ethan, who's a little slow, gets into the fight too. Next, Margrave cuts down Tagura, the big robotic one we talked about earlier, who sends the dark side. I mean, he's the one, again, that sort of looks like he has a bucket on his head. Mm-hmm. At this point, Kara is facing off with three Sith, and Margrave is facing off with two, and he kills uh, the, the purple woman, Niazu, next. Kara's lightsaber turns from whatever color it was before to green while she's dueling. And then Roden, who's still fighting Margrave, uses red force lightning to subdue him. Uh, Kara runs over to fight Roden to help Margrave. And then Margrave uses the force to push Roden, who's distracted by Kara, onto the giant kyber crystal in the center of his little temple. And he sort of incinerates. He sort of turns into ash. This This fight is very frantic the jedi have unique enough designs to where you can follow the fight pretty well but there's a lot happening in like this 60 second sequence Mm -hmm. so ethan is still fighting with one of the last sith sort of a big furry one called homan and homan's lightsaber sort of turns from red to purple and then margrave yells and homan stops fighting and apologizes saying that he was caught up in the darkness of the other people. And I thought at this moment, 
it sort of revealed that Homan knew Margrave. Yeah. Because yeah, he, me, uh, me too. He called him by name. I don't I don't know if he had revealed his name um, when Margrave was around or not. So Margrave explained to Kara that he found out that his messages to the Jedi were intercepted by Sith. So he had to hide in the droid to find out the true intentions of the Jedi or whether or not they were Sith. His hiding caused her father to be abducted because he couldn't be there to protect him. Ethan reveals that he was upset with his performance in the duel, but they basically say it's okay because you lived. And then Kara is invited to be the ninth Jedi, presumably the, the seven that were invited, plus Margrave, now Kara. Um, they say that they're going to rescue everyone, the father, and that the other Jedi are still out there because they can sense them. Mm-hmm. The space station lights up and a ship arrives. This part I felt was not well explained. The ship just sort of shows up and then they, the four Jedi board the ship. The ship flies off and then as they fly off you see that the space station sort of looks like a lightsaber. Yeah. It's light shooting out the top. Mm-hmm. The end. We did it. Yep. Viewed another one. <laughs> oh, I just looked it up. It's actually Appleseed was what I was thinking of. The guy who has the robot um, Oh, head. right. That's right. He's got kind of like, he's kind of got like fins on his head. So what did you think of it overall? Um, I think this might be my favorite one so far. I love the premise. I loved the setup. Um, I thought the characters were really cool, even the ones that we barely got to spend time with. It felt it felt grounded in a way that I really enjoyed. I like the idea that at some distant point in the future, when everything is like completely gone to shit, that there would be force users out there trying to do the right thing, but they weren't necessarily with each other. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Weren't necessarily like even aware of each other. Yeah. Yeah. What I what it mean what it kind of reminded me of is that. Um, uh, and this is kind of like, uh, like if you haven't read the Dune books, skip over until for a while. <laughs> By the fourth book, there's a, like a three thousand year gap. In the original Dune book, it's just Paul, his mother, and his sister, and then just some various troops like um, Gurney and whatnot. But um, at the um, by the time of the fourth book, everybody is in Atreides. Like, not everybody, but there are Atreides everywhere. It's kind of like a Genghis Khan or a Charlemagne sort of thing, where, like, at a certain point, everybody can trace, a lot of people can trace their lineage back to this one person. So maybe think of that, where it's just super far into the future. They don't know how to do these things anymore, and they're kind of like all these grandchildren of kind of like the, the Jedi, but they don't know anything. Right. It's, right. It's there's just, there's it's, some institutional institutional knowledge lost to time, but they're still going through the motions. But see, and it seems like everybody that we've met, all the characters, except perhaps the Jedi hunters, all have force abilities. So does like everybody have a force abilities? Yeah. So let's talk about that for a second. But first, before we move on, what, what was your impression of it? I liked it overall. There were... I don't really have any complaints with it. It could have been anything. They could have not really had the Star Wars aspect to it, and it would have been totally fine for a uh, for a little short. It was it was pretty cool. I, I I kind of liked the mood lightsaber sort of thing. It was it was a good plot device. Oh, I think it was a wonderful plot device. That when they turned on their lightsabers and they're all Sith, I was like, oh damn. Yeah, and how heard like by the. By the end, her lightsaber is a much more distinct color. Right, and how Homan's changed from red to purple. But let's talk. Let's talk about the Force users in this show. You are correct. We don't encounter a single character that can't use the Force. And the the lightsaber forger, the guy who's making them, what was his name? I can't remember. It was Lazima. Yeah, that's right, Lazima. He he had a lightsaber color, and it was green. I guess that implies that he's a Jedi, or he has a relationship with the Force, or received some sort of training. I mean, he grew he grew up working for Margrove, so maybe he was trained. But you are completely correct that every single person we see in this episode 
is force sensitive in a very powerful way. So we either have a very selected sample of the people in this galaxy or force abilities is very common in this galaxy. Mm-hmm. Which that's what kind of brings me to the Dune thing toward like, at this point, everybody has that ability that it's so far in the future that it, uh, it's spread far and wide to where it's not not a rare thing anymore. But we've only we've got, only got like this 22 minute episode to kind of figure out what's going on. But there's 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 a lot of things, uh, questions that need to be answered. And and honestly, I wouldn't, except for the fact that it's like non-canon, I wouldn't mind watching more of this. To, f- to find out what exactly has been going on. I'm glad you said that because I was going to ask you if you would watch another episode of this. There hasn't been there hasn't been very much that I would want to drill down on more. Probably the first one, the duel, and this one are the only ones that I actually want to see more from those characters. I would absolutely watch another episode of this where the four of them are going to go rescue another Jedi or pick up another Jedi so they can form their new Jedi order. I think this is the sort of story that I was hoping um, we would get post return of the Jedi with Luke going around finding the force sensitive people and forming a new Jedi order. Mm -hmm. For the most part, that story has happened off camera or off book or off comic. We've seen glimpses of it. Mm -hmm. I wish I wish we had a more to to that aspect, and so maybe my my appreciation of this telling of it is me telegraphing how much I wanted to see that in the sequel yeah. stuff. No, I yeah, I I can definitely understand that. I re- I was really hoping for something like this too. But all that being said, I think this is very well done. I I believe and care about the characters. I think the art art style is beautiful. It's it's different again. Especially when, like, during that speeder race, the animation style deviated away from even within the episode, where it was clear that there were multiple layers, like, moving past each other in the animation setup. And then at the end, when the ship shows up to the aerial temple, it, again, is on a different layer that's coming mm-hmm. and going coming and going from the animation. I, I, I appreciate that that style a lot. So I think stylistically and artistically, it was very unique and very good. Overall, I just love it. Mm -hmm. I love the design of the Jedi. I love the reveal of the Sith. I love the duel. I didn't love that Rodin sort of burned up on the crystal. I thought that was a little deus ex machina for my taste. But who knows? That's fine. Yeah. And I just love the idea of, of this being a story that that you can fix something that's broken and we're going to the galaxy's broken it's at war we need to gather the jedi and we just keep going until we fix everything mm-hmm. and you have to keep going even when shit is broken and terrible you still have a responsibility to make it better and i just love that that theme so i just overall really really appreciate this episode and like I said, probably my favorite right now. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's get to the rankings then so we can close this up. So our ranking system is we rank every episode based upon a Star Wars character. A really good episode would be a original trilogy character such as Luke, Leia, Han, Vader, Chewie, etc. A really bad episode would be... I, I, always, I always blank on a really... I don't know the the girl that the oh I can't even think of the name of the species in Return of the Jedi the one that that Boba Fett's kind of sweet on and he's kind of like holding her chin. Oh, the Twi'lek? No, it's not a Twi'lek. It's the, the same species that I think the one character Chaz from Alphabet Squadron is. The one with the spots? Yeah, spots, and they got like two horns on the side. Um, Thelen. Thelens. Something like that. That's definitely a species, Thelen. That look like she's a Thelen. Thelen. H e e l i n Thelen. Okay. So the Thelen that Boba Fett is, uh, Boba Fett is sweet on. That's kind of a character that's kind of like, eh, take it, leave it, whatever. So Matt, her name, what do you... her name is Diva Shaliqua. Mm. Anyway, so what do you give this episode? I'm going to give this episode a Darth Nihilus. 
Ooh, okay. He is he's one of your favorites? I know. Um, he's a Sith Lord from the Kotor era, and he's sort of a he's like a scar in the Force and like a Force consumer. Um, mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Is that a good description of him? Yeah. So Force yeah. vampire. Yeah, man, that that's good because I and I couldn't. I guess I'll, so. I'll, I'll just re- really quickly justify mine. He's a really important character. He's awesome, and I love how much Sith we get in this episode. So I, I just really wanted to to sort of really emphasize how much I enjoyed this by picking an incredibly powerful Sith from Legends. Mm-hmm. Well, I couldn't honestly think of anything from Legends, so I was going to give this a uh, Grand Inquisitor. Because there's so much interesting stuff going on with the Grand Inquisitor. With he just kind of shows up as a in the, his first appearance is in Rebels, but his first like chronological is in the Darth Vader Dark Lord of the Sith comic, where he's walking into the Jedi Temple, and then he's seen again in the other Vader comics as a vision. As a vision, yeah. So there's just a lot of interesting things going on with that character that I really want to know more. And so it kind of reflects this whole wanting to know more. I definitely want to know more about this. That's a great pick. So that is that is the episode. We What's the next one? The, what's the It is T0B1. Oh, okay. All right. Ugh, God, I really don't want to watch this one. I haven't seen it yet. <laughs> we'll be back next week with M. Be sure to rate us on whatever podcast app that you've you found us on. Please give us a good ranking. It helps more people find us and tell a friend about that. There's this podcast where two two guys talk about Star Wars a little too much. And if you didn't like it, well, sorry. But as a uh, consolation, tell somebody you really don't like about it, so you can waste some of their time too. We'll be back next week with another episode of Star Wars Visions. Thank you for downloading and listening to this episode. We would also like to thank Jordan White for the use of his cover of Yub Nub as our intro and outro music. Please refer to the show notes for photos, clips, and links from this episode. Side effects from listening to Yubcast may include dizziness, dry mouth, a sense of confusion, and decreased sex drive. Serious side effects may include speaking in Ewok, speculating the origins of prequel characters, and wondering why two grown men discuss children's cartoons on the internet. For a complete list of side effects or to complain about the show, please visit us on Twitter at Yubcast or drop us an email at noochbaderproductions at gmail.com. Thanks again. We'll see you again next week with a new episode. Yubcast is not affiliated with Lucasfilm or the Walt Disney Company. Star Wars, its characters, and creations are the property of Lucasfilm and its parent company, the Walt Disney Company. Yubcast is intended for entertainment and informational purposes only. All right, stopped it.